Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Thinking Theologically, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined by our resident master theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing? Busy. I think, I think, now that I think about it, every podcast that we do during this time of year, I think I mentioned that the end of the year is one of the busiest times for preachers. Yeah. Um, because you've got all these special events that go on at the end of the year and you're planning for next year and all of that. So yeah, we get, we get hit with like trunk or treat and then you get a month Thanksgiving and then you get a month to Christmas stuff and then you get new year's immediately after. And you know, then what are you going to do this year? (laughs) How are you going to start it? How, what's, what's the theme and how are you going to play all that out? It's, uh, I, I feel like every episode that we do at all, we're always just busy forever, yeah, um, which is not a complaint. We like, what eh, we do. sometimes it is. Well, okay. <laughs> we still like but what we at least do. Sometimes I'm complaining. <laughs> we still like what we do, even if it is a complaint. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's always something to be, uh, doing and dealing with and planning and resolving and all of that sort of stuff. Life just kind of works its way in cycles and we do the best that we can, which is a good way to think about the subject of our podcast today. Uh, Continuing our how to interpret that we started with the last episode of interpreting the Old Testament. Uh, We mentioned that we would specifically do a how to interpret wisdom literature, uh, which encompasses uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Job uh, as wisdom literature within the Old Testament. And we get, we get, pieces of wisdom literature in other places, right? I'm at, mm-hmm. this, this is not something we talked about beforehand. We also get it in other spots, uh, similar to some of our other genres where you have pieces of those genres kind of jumping into uh, other genre-dominated books. Uh, same thing is true with wisdom literature, but we want to deal with these specific books today and how to go through them and interpret them as a genre, but also... Uh, interpreting them together, uh, because uh, as we go through today, you'll see uh, we think these things should be bundled together as far as books go. Uh, there's a reason that they're set together uh, within the the canon the way that they are, uh, and we think that's important. So we'll, we'll talk about that as we get going. Uh, before we get going, I want to remind you to check out thinkingtheologically.org, where we have Uh, occasionally other articles and things uh, alongside these regular episodes. Uh, You can also like us on Facebook at Thinking Theologically to be alerted when these things go up. Uh, And you can always reach out to us uh, on our Facebook or anywhere that exists on the internet that has some kind of thing that you sign up for and make a page or whatever if you want to get a hold of Spencer specifically. (laughs) He's everywhere. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm on them all. Uh, or, or at our email at strongchurchministries at gmail.com for questions, criticisms, suggestions, uh, or just a little little encouragement to keep doing what we're doing. Uh, I'll take the encouragement. You can give all the criticism yes. to Jack. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, and I just won't read it, so 
no big deal. Perfect. That's me exercising wisdom. Uh, and it's because of all the stuff that I've learned <laughs> uh, in these books we're talking about today. Uh, we're talking about wisdom literature and how to interpret it. So uh, we'll start here, Spencer, with uh, defining what wisdom is. Uh, how, how will we define that here for our purposes today? So I like the quote of a scholar by the name of James Crenshaw, uh, an Old Testament scholar who wrote a book on the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Uh, he defines it as the reasoned search for specific ways to ensure personal well-being in everyday life, to make sense of extreme adversity and vexing anomalies, mm. and to transmit this hard-earned knowledge so that successive generations will embody it, it being wisdom, universal. Um, I really like that because the idea is of wisdom is in essence, how do you live? Like, how do you live a life that's a good life, an enriching life, a life of well-being, uh, a life of joy, like, like a life of success? Like, how do you live that kind of life every day mm -hmm. in the midst of things that don't make sense? So he mentions extreme adversity, uh, vexing anomalies. So life doesn't always make sense. We face adversity, we face hardship, we face loss. Uh, and all of that is, that that's our everyday life of we dealing with the good times and the bad times and figuring out how do we live good lives in the midst of all that. But I also like he points out, it's not only, wisdom is not only us trying to figure that out, but it's also us trying to pass that on to future generations. Um, you think about really the primary teaching that goes on in homes, parents to children, or within churches, uh, to me, a lot of it is just wisdom teaching. Uh, as, yeah. as Christians, it's wisdom in light of Jesus, uh, who is presented as an embodiment of wisdom, particularly by John. Save that for when we get to how to interpret the New Testament. But uh, that's the light that we're coming from. And we're trying to impart to people in light of Jesus, what does it look like to live a good, successful, joyful, productive life uh, in the midst of all of these things that don't make sense? And we're passing those on to future generations. And that's what wisdom is. And so the wisdom literature today is typically used to define those books that Jack mentioned earlier, Proverbs, Psalms, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, as, as books that seek to do that, that mm -hmm. seek to explain how we live our everyday life in a way that produces well-being, even in the midst of adversities and anomalies, things that don't make sense. And what these books are doing is they're passing them on. So Jews throughout history have sought to <clears throat> define that wisdom in terms of Yahweh, right? I mentioned as Christians, we define our wisdom in terms of Jesus. Uh, Jews, ancient Hebrews define their wisdom in terms of Yahweh and ask the question of in light of Yahweh, how do you live a wise everyday life? And those questions get answered 
or discussed or a lot of the times not answered and just kind of throw our hands up in the air in the case of Ecclesiastes uh, in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Jack and I were talking about this a little bit before we recorded. Uh, Israel means to wrestle with God. Mm -hmm. And so Israel is wrestling with God every day and asking that question of how do we live in light of God, in light of who we are in connection to God, and all of the difficulties of life. And all of those questions get expressed in the wisdom literature. And to me, what's cool is the wisdom literature is bringing together generations and generations and generations and generations of this wisdom. You have people who originally wrote this wisdom, but all of this gets edited and put together into the final form that we have today by people later on who are collecting all of this wisdom or all of these songs together and compiling them. So to me, that's kind of cool. You have all of these generations over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years who are wrestling with God and trying to answer these questions. And all of this gets expressed in these books of wisdom that we have in the Old Testament, uh, which take up a very big chunk of our Bibles, by the way. Yeah. A lot of the Old Testament is wisdom. Yes. Yeah. The, this idea of uh, <clears throat> uh, when you mentioned at the very beginning the uh, what happens within families of passing these things on, the, the Shema of Deuteronomy 6 comes to mind. And I know that there's a specific teaching there, but this idea of what's taking place with uh, the next generation in your home and while you're out with them and from the moment you wake up in the mornings to the moment that you uh, go to bed and all of the stuff in between, that there is this uh, purposeful educating and guiding. Like so much of what you do as parents and hopefully grandparents uh, and having that relationship uh, isn't isn't just maybe initially it's commands and things like this, but most of that teaching consists of wisdom of here is maybe a better way to do this, or here is, here's what I do when I do those kinds of things, you know, imitate me, that sort of thing. And that's what these books, as we go through them, uh, will ultimately see is, are there commands here or things that are laid out in in the form of a command yes uh, but as we progress through the books you start to see it's just a lot of hey here is the best way to do this or here is a really good way to do this sort of thing that will probably lead to this good conclusion and that's most that's what we do we do it every day if you're a parent or a grandparent listening this is what you do all the time uh, is just pass on wisdom. And we have the opportunity, as Spencer said, to partake of all of these generations of wisdom uh, sitting here all these years later uh, and look into it and go, how can I live a good, successful, positive, God-oriented kind of life? Well, these books uh, lay that out for us. Uh, before, we, uh, before we get into actually digging into some of that about how all that kind of looks uh we need to talk about the uh the poetry aspect of the wisdom literature uh what do you want to tell us about that or what do we need to know about the the poetry side of things so i think in 
interpreting the wisdom literature, any of those books, Proverbs, Psalms, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, I think it's helpful first to understand what we just talked about. Like, what are the books trying to do? They're trying to impart wisdom. What is wisdom? You know, how to live that successful life now Mm -hmm. in relation to God, especially when everything doesn't make any sense. It's trying to impart that kind of wisdom. And it does so primarily through poetry. So uh, Psalms, Song of Solomon, most of Job. If you're familiar with the story of Job, you're probably familiar with the first and the last chapter (laughs) because uh, that's narrative. Uh, Everything in between. uh, So we're left with, you know, what, 40 some odd chapters. I don't remember off the top of my head how many are are in Job of poetry. So most of Job is poetry. Uh, Some of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is kind of weird the way that it's put together. Uh, But you get some very poetic sections of uh, Ecclesiastes. But uh, really, three of those books are primarily, if not 95%, poetry. So one of the primary ways that wisdom is given across is through poetry. And that ought to make some sense to us. Um, There's a way that poetry or music speaks to us that it speaks to us in a way that nothing else can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in trying to impart something as important as wisdom, so how to live life, um, there's a way that poetry and song speaks into our life and helps us make sense of life in ways that other things can't. And I think that's why you have a lot of the wisdom literature in poetry I'm assuming that a lot of people can relate to this, but you know, when you're let, let's just say you're dealing with something that's very emotionally taxing, whatever it may be, a lot of the times we find the best expression and understanding of the emotions that we're feeling in music. I think that's true for most yeah, people. Yeah. You you turn on certain kind of music or a certain artist and it helps you make sense of the emotions that you're feeling. And when we're trying to figure out how to live life when nothing makes any sense, that's a pretty important thing of making sense of even just what we're feeling. So you see that a lot in in the Psalms of, you know, David getting mad at God. And we're not always happy with God. Right. And those Psalms help us make sense of those emotions that we're feeling. Um, We feel blessed by God. You read a psalm about blessing. It helps us think about those emotions that we're feeling. And so a lot of the the wisdom literature is poetic in nature. And what that means, a couple things to keep in mind when you're reading poetry, is that poetry uses a lot of figurative language. So don't take things too literally. It, It always makes me mad when people do apologetics, so evidence for God or uh, evidence for the inspiration of Scripture or dinosaurs in Job, talking about the Leviathan and the behemoth, and they go to these poetry and they're like, see, you have, for example, I I know in the Psalms, uh, it talks about the circle of the earth or something like that, right? And, you know, like, see, when people thought the earth was flat or that the some in the ancient world even thought the earth was like the shell of a turtle. 
<laughs> so it's like when yeah. people thought that the Bible says the earth is circular. And it's like, I don't think that's what that means. Yeah, I'll turn. And I don't think that's what the author was trying to say. He was using this poetic language to say something about God. Uh, in Job, the language of Leviathan and Behemoth, I personally don't think Job is talking about dinosaurs. I think he's creating. I know that's not true with Leviathan because Leviathan exists in uh, other um, cultures around Israel. Their gods slayed the Leviathan. So I think it's just he's creating these huge imaginary creatures that are bigger and badder than anything you could imagine. And it's like God created those. Like it, you, whatever you can come up with, God is greater. And there's this poetic language to do that. It doesn't mean that everything uh, can't be taken literally. There are things that we can take literally, but I think we have to be very careful because the intent is poetry, and poetry uses metaphorical and figurative language. Like, that's what poetry is built on, is metaphor and figurative language. And so we need to be careful not to take things too literally. And I would say when we do, we need to have a very good reason to. And when we do take poetry literally, we don't need to stand on that position so firmly that we discount every other way of reading that. Because yeah. since it's poetry, there's not only typically more than one ways to interpret poetry. Like there's, it's kind of like art's the same way, right? There's not always one way to interpret a piece of art, which is the beauty of art and poetry. Of that, an author could have been expressing one thing, but it could mean something different to somebody else but that meaning be just as true of a meaning or feeling as what the author felt or meant when they wrote it or painted it or whatever it may be. Like that's the beauty of art is it is very multifaceted. And so we need to allow the art, the poetry of the Old Testament to do that. And so make sure we don't take anything too literally or stand too firmly on those positions that we have. And it also goes the other way. Yes. Um, just because it's figurative, uh, we can make things too figurative. So uh, the Song of Solomon, which is this beautiful love story between a man and a woman, um, a lot of Christians uh, throughout history have not liked some of the sexual implications of Song of Solomon. Yeah. And so we're like, well, it's not about a man and a woman. It's about Israel and God, which to me is even more weird. If that's the sure. if if that's the number one thing that's going on, I think that's even more strange. Like you you can relate this deep relationship between this man and this woman to God and Israel or Jesus in the church or whatever you, you want. You can do some of that, but that's not the primary that's not the primary meaning. Um, it there's figurative language used to express that love. But the the love is the primary thing that's going on. And what seems to happen is we go to poetry and we know, yeah, it, it's poetry. So, uh, you know, there's all of this figurative language and we end up making it mean whatever we want it to mean. So if we want to take it literally, we take it literally. And if we want to make it figurative, we yeah. make it figurative. And there's no rhyme or reason for doing that. So my recommendation would just be let's stay somewhere in the middle and 
be diligent in what we're doing. Understand that poetry is first figurative. Like that's what I would encourage people. Go to the figurative meaning first. Don't make it too figurative, but go to the simple figurative meaning, right? So like yeah. Song of Solomon, the simple figurative meaning is not God in Israel. The simple figurative meaning is a man's love for a woman. That's the go there first. And then if you have a really good reason, maybe we go to some other places, start taking some yeah. things literally uh, or whatever. But since it's poetic, that's where you need to start. Um, the other thing I want to say about poetry real quick is that uh, poetry and art uh, tends to be repurposed uh, to mean different things for uh, different people, or you repurpose generally held wisdom. So you uh, some of the Psalms, and you might come across this if you read a commentary on the Psalms, or I was telling Jack before we got started, I've even seen people talk about it on TikTok. So these mm. things are out there that some of the Psalms scholars believe were originally songs to false gods, uh, to Baal, for example, and they get repurposed to become songs about Yahweh. So Israel takes this song that was written by another nation to Baal. They take it, they take out the name Baal, they put in the name Yahweh, and now it's a song about Israel's God. Because in what they did is they saw this song and they're like, this is true. Like th this is true wisdom, but it's being attributed to the wrong God. And so we're going to repurpose it and attribute it to the right God because we know that all wisdom and truth comes from Yahweh wherever it's found. And I think we understand that today, that truth, all truth is God's truth, no matter where it comes from, and that we can find true things in all kinds of weird and unexpected places. And we even repurpose things. So a preacher may repurpose a popular pop song that's on the radio as an illustration in his sermon about something about God. Yeah. Not that that was the intentional uh, reason for the song, but there was true wisdom in that song. Uh, Jack and I were talking about before how we do that with holidays, like Halloween. Um, we, we repurpose things that used to be pagan or... Uh, even if they're not pagan who just originally had nothing to do with God and we repurpose them for God because they're like, there's truth here. And Israel did that too. And that comes to expression in the Psalms. And I just thought that was important because I know it's out there and it's important to be kind of, you come across it to have a little bit of background knowledge of yeah. um, what's going on there. Yeah, and uh, I, I wanted to say to the don't take things too literally don't take things too figuratively and all this and you you mentioned this of well it's poetic so i can go to these places and make them do whatever i want to do uh don't be reckless in bible study just because it's poetry it's still we we may need to apply our bible study tools in a different way but you still take the toolbox to do the work like you don't just walk in and go uh let's see where i'm gonna come at this purely apologetically and so i'm gonna take these two things in job or i don't like the discomfort that song of solomon brings and so i'm going to call it purely allegorical and all of this stuff and it's not that you 
can't look at Leviathan and Behemoth in some way, literally, and it's not that you can't look at Song of Solomon in some way figurative, but you still need to, like, you need to answer the question, what is the intent behind this? What, is, what, what point they trying to get across with this. Uh, the point of Job, if you want to take these two beasts literally, for example, the point of that discussion from God is not to say, hey, Job, by the way, I want to say this because it's going to be really important in a couple thousand years with some guys that are doing apologetics. Well, that's not the point. That's not why it's there. It's not why that, that's absolutely not the conclusion that you can draw from that. Either way, though, you can look at it and go, why is why is God responding to Job this way uh, in the text? Whether literal or figurative, what's the point? Why would you do that? Well, because Job is, uh, and the whole, and his friends and all this are so fixated on this is how everything must work, and God's trying to show Job that doesn't always work that way, and that's okay because I'm, I'm in control. I'm in control of this sort of stuff. So... The, the point of, I guess, my thing here is don't, don't be reckless when you come to this kind of genre. Uh, and Spencer's advice of sit somewhere in the middle and definitely don't draw the line of, well, I lean more literally, and so if you lean figuratively, you're super dead wrong. No, I lean more literally or I lean more figuratively, but can understand why you would approach it from the other way. You know, that's, that's how we should take this wisdom and art because it is and art uh, is just depending on the subject who is coming up and admiring it they're going to walk away with uh, with different intent a different meaning different purpose and all that kind of thing so in some don't come to it with an agenda yes let the yes let the art art speak for itself yeah don't have an agenda with anything biblical whatsoever <laughs> just read it <laughs> read to understand okay um, we want to specifically make some comments about Proverbs here. Uh, what do you want to say about Proverbs? Yeah, I, we've, uh, there's a couple things I want to say about Proverbs and Psalms. Yeah. Just some very quick pieces of advice that are helpful in interpreting those books in particular. A proverb is a general truth. Um, it means that proverbs are not universal truths in that life always functions that way. Because proverbs tends to be very black and white. You do good, you'll be blessed. You do bad, you'll be cursed. Um, life, so proverbs aren't general truths in that life always functions that way. Right. But they're universal truths in that life generally or usually functions that way. The idea that so generally... A lot of the time, and for a lot of people, if you do good things, you get good things back. If you do bad things, you get bad things back. But life doesn't always function that way. For some people, life very rarely functions that way. In some situations, it very rarely functions that way. Yeah. And so uh, that's helpful in reading the Proverbs because you're reading things and you're like, yeah, I've, I've done that and I didn't get the blessing part. And it's like... Let's make sure we understand what a proverb is trying to do. It's trying to give you a general truth, a general life lesson that generally is going to work, doesn't always work like that. Um, and we under, I mean, we understand that as well. You know, it goes back to the the wisdom that we teach our our children. We typically teach them, you know, hey, you treat people right, people will treat you right. 
And most of the time, I think that's how life works. But, you know, let's just be honest. Yep. Sometimes you run across a jerk and it doesn't work like that. Yep. Um, and the hope is that if you continue to be nice to them, it will make a difference. And sometimes it does. It doesn't always. Um, so so uh, that's what Proverbs is trying to do. With the Psalms, something that I've found that not everybody is aware of that's helpful for interpreting the the song the Psalms is pretty all the Psalms at points have parallel lines that mm-hmm. mirror each other. Uh, and so you'll have one line followed by another line and they're both saying the exact same thing, but they are saying them in two different ways. So I happen just to have Psalm 73 pulled up here, verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart. Both of those mean the same thing, but they're said in two different ways. A soul being embittered is the same as being pricked to the heart. You know, something yeah. happened inside of me, right, is is, mm-hmm. is what's being said. Uh, but those uh, two lines are par- are parallel. They're mirroring each other just in different language. And that's important because sometimes we may be tempted to interpret those two lines as meaning two different things. And that's not the intention. We're meant to take those together and come to a conclusion as what they mean. So the question is, together, what do those lines mean? Not necessarily what do they mean individually. Sometimes we can Sometimes we can actually get too focused on the details of, well, what's the meaning of soul and embittered and how's that different from being pricked in the heart? And it's like, no, to, let's bring those together. And what meaning do we yeah. come to? So uh, that's just something that will probably be helpful for the Psalms in particular. Yeah, uh, not too much to add there other than uh, when we think about repeated ideas, if you're tempted to ask the question of like, well, why? Why do we have the the parallelism, the the mirroring and all of this? Uh, sometimes it's like the further explanation kind of thing, looking at uh, d- describing the same thing in a different way uh, because some people uh, might have trouble with uh, the first line, but the second line they go, oh, okay, no, I get that. Um just another way of relating to to the content of the message. The other part might be emphasis, uh, especially if you have multiple repeated lines kind of dealing with the same overall uh, emotion or event or something like that. Uh, it's really just repeating and showing the depths of the pain or the joy or whatever it may be uh, because it's being repeated so often. That's that's our indicator. That's our, our bold underlined statement is it keeps coming up. It's important. You know, it's something they really feel. Go ahead. Um, something to, to add to that real quick is that when you you can tell this when you're reading in your Bible because you'll, you'll have a line. And then you'll have a line underneath that's indented. Yeah. And the next line will go back flush. And then you'll have a line that's or two that's indented. Uh, generally, what's going on there is the line that's indented is uh, the line that is parallel to the one above it. So you the, the editors of our English Bible actually help us out with that in seeing <clears throat> the way that uh, those two... 
mirroring lines mm. uh, work together by indenting the second one underneath the first. And so you'll, if you've ever noticed that reading through your Bibles, that's what's going on is you've got those parallel lines that go throughout and our editors have helped us out in being able to see uh, which lines parallel what. Really annoying when you're trying to copy and paste it into a document and uh, keep it more as a block and have to do all that work, but helpful uh, as we're, we're reading through and things like that. The, the other one thing I want to add here with like Proverbs, for example, is uh, what, what we talked about with not taking things too literally or too figuratively. Uh, think about uh, Proverbs like train up a child in the way he should go when he's old, he will not depart and all of this. And have heard those verses used uh, in a weaponized way against someone of, well, you know, you must not have done your job as a parent because your kid's no longer faithful. It's like, no, this, this is generally true uh, that if you guide your child in that direction, but you also have to take into account what happens within the world and the experiences and, you know, death or loss or other things like that, that all play a factor uh, in all of these sorts of things. Maybe the parent didn't do a great job, or maybe they did a tremendous job, uh, but some other things caused them to lose their way uh, and all of that. You also have the opposite being true sometimes of people not ever going, like, uh, uh, I, I guess it's similar, but it leads to a different conclusion. People rejecting what they grew up with and coming to God, coming to know wisdom and all of these things, even though they weren't raised that way. Well, generally speaking, that's not the way that's going to work out, but it does happen that way too. So don't don't come to these texts and go, well, this is what it says, so you must not have and use it as a weapon or something like that uh, against somebody be really careful with it and appreciate it again as poetry, as general wisdom, uh, and and view it that way, and don't use it with an agenda. Uh, that's I guess that's what keeps coming up for us here <laughs> in our studies. Uh, one last one last thought with all of our our lesson here about wisdom literature. Um, can't remember exactly who kind of came up with this, but it's a very helpful uh, and serves as kind of a cycle uh, of how to uh, understand how these books work together, uh, that we don't want to just view them apart from each other, but that they are all contained together as wisdom literature and that they should be viewed together and that they, they actually fit together uh, like a puzzle here. So uh, how should we understand uh, or what should we understand about how the wisdom books look, work together? I think that the books of wisdom, particularly Proverbs, Psalms, Job, and Ecclesiastes, um, are meant to be read together uh, to give a fuller picture of what wisdom is and what wisdom looks like. I, I think that was the, in the intention of the Jews who compiled these texts together and edited them and got them into the final form that we have in our Bibles. I think they were meant to be read together and because I think that they complement one another. And this is kind of the movement that happens if you read through these wisdom books. So you read Proverbs and Proverbs is very black and white 
Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. There's really no exception in Proverbs. That's the way Proverbs work. And like we talk about, that's generally true. But life is much more complicated than that. And if you remember, we defined wisdom at the beginning of kind of this wrestling with God, of living life in light of God, even when things don't make sense and bad things happen. So life is not always the black and white life of Proverbs. Proverbs would say it generally is, but it's not always that way. And as I mentioned, for some people, it's rarely that way because of of circumstances that they find themselves in. So uh, Proverbs gives that black and white portrait of the world, but life is not always that simple. So you begin reading through the Psalms and the book of Psalms uh, throws in a little bit of gray uh, into the picture. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes life isn't always black and white. Generally, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, but it doesn't always work like that. So if you read through the Psalms, uh, the the first Psalms are very black and white. They read like Proverbs. You do good things, good things will happen. You do bad things, bad things will happen. But then as you keep reading, things begin to be a little complicated. You start to see Psalms where the author is like, well, I'm doing good, but these bad things are happening to me. Yeah. And there are these bad people over here, and good things are happening to them. The bad people are winning, and the good people are losing. You begin to see that shift in the Psalms. And then when you get to the middle of the book of Psalms, or roughly the middle, Psalm 73, uh, in verse 16, it says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. When I tried to understand why life is not always the black and white life we see in Proverbs, uh, I couldn't understand it. It was wearisome. It was difficult. It was hard to try to figure this out. Until, verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. In Psalms, in the midst of life not making any sense, when we have an encounter and, and and an experience of God, life begins to make sense in that it doesn't have to make sense. Right? We don't have to have the answer for why life is not always the black and white life of Proverbs, and we're okay with that. And so as you continue reading through the Psalms, that experience of God in the midst of a life that doesn't always make sense leads to praise. I'm going to praise God because I know even when life doesn't make sense that God is in control and I know that God's going to work everything out. That's kind of the main thing in Psalms. Eventually, everything is going to balance itself out. So even though I'm having difficulty now, I'm going to praise God. And that leads to the end of the book of Psalms, the last several Psalms that are praised for no reason. Mm. It leads us to praise God and we don't need a reason to praise God. We're just going to praise God. But in the end, the the Psalms are still very black and white. There's a little bit of gray. Life doesn't always work this way, but in the end, it will. Then you go to the book of Job. Job throws in a lot of gray. Job is the righteous sufferer. He does nothing wrong. He's like the best guy who's ever lived. That's the way he's described in the prologue. And yet all these bad things happen to him. It's not how life is supposed to happen. And 
the book of Job is wrestling with that, literally, even wrestling with God, trying to figure out why these things are happening. But in the end, Job gets blessed. So there's a lot of gray in there, but in the end, you kind of still end with some black and white, right? Job is blessed at the beginning because of his faithfulness. He loses everything for no fault of his own. But then because of his faithfulness, he does end up getting it back. So there's still uh, black and white there, even if there's a little bit more of gray. Then you go to Ecclesiastes, which is all gray. Yep. <laughs> uh, the theme of the book is everything's meaningless. Nothing matters. Everything is pointless. Everything is fleeting. Everything goes away. Life. What's interesting is, is the word for meaningless comes from uh, the name Abel. Do you remember the story in Genesis? Cain kills Abel. So the point is our everyone's life is like the life of Abel. What's the point? Oh. It's here one minute, it's gone the next. Did not know that. Like, <laughs> what a depressing yeah. point. Uh, that's the point of the book. Abel, that's all of us. There's no point. And what's interesting is that a lot of it is there's no point. So enjoy what you can. You know, throw a party every once in a while. Um, because life is horrible. Uh, that's really the point. It's it, Go through and underline every time it talks about eating and drinking. Because it's quite a bit. Yeah, And it's normally at the end of, here's another group of things that's pointless. So eat and drink and be merry. Because life sucks. Um, and then at the end of the book, you have this, this idea that everything's meaningless, but there's one thing that does matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, which a lot of scholars believe is a later addition to make the book not so depressing uh, to people. Um, but regardless, you take that in and it's like, well, we follow God. But that doesn't make life less meaningless. It doesn't make us less of an Abel. Because, again, think about the story of Cain and Abel. Abel had the acceptable sacrifice. Mm -hmm. He followed God. And he dies. Still meaningless. What's the point? Um, You might as well enjoy life where you can and follow God. And... The way these work together is they help us, again, we mentioned at the beginning, it helps us to understand and work through our emotions and what we're feeling and what we're experiencing in life. Um, Because sometimes we need some black and white wisdom. Sometimes our life has some gray. Sometimes we're the psalmist. Everything works out in the end, and we experience God leading us through the valley of the shadow of death to the green pastures on the other side. And we find that expression in the Psalms. Sometimes we're Job. We go through a long period of suffering, and it's not because of anything that we've done. Sometimes we suffer because of what we've done, and the Proverbs and the Psalms speak to that as well. Sometimes we're Job. We've done nothing wrong, and yet we still suffer. Yeah. Um, 
But in the end, after a long period of suffering, God works things out and we find expression in Job. And sometimes we are we find ourselves in periods where life is meaningless. We're able. And there's no point in anything. And we find that expression in Ecclesiastes, where we're just like, I'm going to enjoy what I can. Maybe I'm going to enjoy my family and friends. I'm going to follow God, but nothing makes sense. Nothing uh, has seems to have a point, but I'm, but I'm going to follow God, and I'm going to do the advice giving in Proverbs and Psalms and Job, even though nothing makes any sense. And we find that expression in Ecclesiastes. So at different points in life, we need those different kinds of wisdom, and we yeah. find ourselves in those different places in life, needing wisdom of how do I live in this moment? And that is how the wisdom literature works together is it gives us that meaning and that understanding. And I would argue that experience of God, no matter what it is that we're facing in any individual moment. Yeah. And uh, I'll end this with, uh, especially when you were talking about the Psalms of uh, these questions and then more so in Job and all of this uh, that you see a lot of this good happening to bad, bad happening to good, and what do we do about it, and what will the end of all this stuff kind of be. Uh, you you get a lot of that sort of conversation and wrestling with the prophets <clears throat> as well. Um, and so when we think about why we should read wisdom literature, it's because it has very much so very, very real-life application. Uh, it's just thinking of Israel and they're struggling with captivity and the enemies around them and uh, all of the injustices and things that they looked at. And they, they wrestled with these questions and the wisdom literature was there as a, look, do the right thing, enjoy things where you can, understand that things don't always work out the way that they should, but eventually... Uh, because God is in control, that things will end uh, in this kind of a way. And so uh, just even within the text itself, you kind of have this uh, internal struggling and this wisdom to go alongside it that says, just keep going, uh, keep going with all this. So uh, definitely read through the wisdom literature and the Proverbs, Psalms, Job, Ecclesiastes kind of cycle of, of things there uh, is a good way to go about it. And uh, reading through that way, uh, looking at it not too figuratively, but not too literally either, and uh, appreciating it as the poetry and art that it is. And if you can do that uh, and not be reckless or come with an agenda to the text, then uh, you'll have a good time and enjoyable time interpreting wisdom literature. That's the lesson for today. We'll be back with the next one for interpreting more stuff. I'm not actually sure exactly what we'll, we'll be undertaking next time uh, as our interpretation genre uh, but we'll continue making our way through uh, various genres and types of literature throughout the bible here i hope this has been helpful to you and that you enjoy your time uh, within the wisdom literature and are able to apply uh, many of the things that we talked about today until next time i'm jack and spencer we'll see you then